Hey there, this is Mitch Joel. I'm the author of Six Pixels of Separation. Everything is connected. Connect your business to everyone and control alt delete. Reboot your business, reboot your life. Your future depends on it. And you are listening to Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails. Hello, and welcome to this hopefully short-lived series that will be airing in addition to the weekly marketing book podcast interviews. I'm your host, Douglas Burdett, and my goal during this unusual time is to reconnect you with past guests on the marketing book podcast, share some ideas and inspiration, and maybe a much-needed laugh or two. I've interviewed over 200 authors on the show, and my plan is to continue this series until I run out of authors or quarantine, whichever comes first. A word of warning, the host and guest may very likely be drinking cocktails during these conversations. I mean, come on, they are recorded during the cocktail hour. And if you'd like to join the conversation, email a voice recording to me at douglas at salesartillery.com, and I'll try to include it in a future episode. I'd love to hear from you. Otherwise, connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat. So, Mitch Joel, welcome to Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails. How are you, Douglas? I'm good. And you know, Mitch, for years, I've always dreamed of asking you the following question. Let me guess. Go. (laughs) So, who are you and what do you do? Yeah, it's not the first time someone has said that to me. My name is Mitch Joel. Uh, I've written two books. One of them is called Control-Alt-Delete. One of them is called Six Pixels of Separation. Currently, I have a very, very tiny company of two called the Six Pixels Group, which is basically just a holding company for myself and my former business partner, uh, who's now, again, my business partner. Uh, We, together with two other partners, built a very large digital marketing agency. Uh, It was originally called Twist Image. It then became Miramunce, and it was acquired by WPP. And uh, my new small business is really just primarily me speaking, uh, which isn't happening much of right now, Um, investing, advising, and creating content. And I always love what you do and thrilled that you invited me to be back. So happy to do this. Well, it's my pleasure. And in case listeners didn't catch the joke of the question I asked, Mitch Joel has what I think is the longest running marketing and ideas podcast there is. I mean, you have so many, uh, I can't remember how many episodes. Yeah, it's over, you, what, what, it's over 700. It runs yeah. every Sunday. I think it's the longest running podcast. I mean, it, it, like in terms of consistently never missing an episode, never changing its mm-hmm. name or anything like that, for sure in, in business it is. I started it in, I don't know, 2004 or five. Yeah. <laughs> it's just amazing. Sorry. And so if, if marketing book podcast listeners are not familiar with the Six Pixels podcast, please subscribe to it. It is just fantastic. And it's uh, he starts every episode by saying, so who are you and what do you do? <laughs> and I thought, you know, I'm probably never going to be able to ask Miss Joel that, but these are crazy times. And I also need to say that when I first started the marketing book podcast uh, five over five years ago, I made a few videos to pitch to, uh, I think there were 11 videos I made, just pitching an author saying, hey, I'm starting this podcast. I'd really like to interview you for it. I know the audience would love it, and I'd, I'd really appreciate it. One of those videos was to Mitch Joel. And so, Mitch, you were a very early supporter of the, the Marketing Book Podcast. And now, uh, years since then, I've been able to meet you a few times. You seem to be at every conference. And as you started to touch on there, I've got to wonder – what 
what happened? Did, did most everything get for the next uh, few months in terms yeah, of the, the analogy that I tell everybody who asks is it's sort of like you're sitting at the airport waiting to board your flight and you're just looking at the departures screen and everything suddenly goes red. That's been my life since uh, end of February. Yeah. Every, every gig uh, right now, uh, it's in strange. We're recording this in April. I've got a gig at the end of May that, you know, it's apparently still going on. I don't think it is. I've got about, I'd say 15, 16 that are still slated for the dates they're set for. I don't have much confidence in them. If, if I were speaking candidly, I would think that post February, uh, end of February, I, I expect zero revenue from speaking this year, which is, um, you know, I'm very fortunate that I don't have to. It wasn't my main sort of thing. It was my only thing, and that I, I can definitely weather the storm as as long as everybody can weather the storm, I guess. So I'm not panicked. I'm not stressing out. Uh, some of them have gone virtual, um, and I'm just sort of hanging out like everyone is, quarantined in their home, uh, and dealing with things like homeschooling and uh, you know what can we do today, and praying that the weather is decent enough that we can get at least an hour or two outside. Uh, and that's just basically the the way of the world. And I'm definitely writing more than I've written in the past while, which has been fun. And paying more attention to the little things, which is nice. Yeah. And I think you said you've got three little ones there with I you do, right now? Yeah. Yeah. We've got three in here. Yeah. So it's, oh. it's, it's a lot of work. I mean, I'm really bit like people are like, oh, you know, you should like do jigsaw puzzles and you should like learn a new language and you should take all these online. I'm like, I don't have any time. I don't know what people <laughs> <laughs> I guess these people don't have kids or they have older kids, but uh, yeah, I, I'm finding the time is not on my side at this. So the days are flying by. It's, it's been, we're, we've been in that sense, healthy and lucky. Uh, that's great. And it brings back memories for me because my kids are now in their twenties. And one of them is a college senior who came home from spring break and they sent a message and said, yeah, don't come back right, and, right. Uh, and don't plan on a graduation ceremony either. So it's, uh, it's really, um, well, I guess there's uh, not much of a uh, frame of reference that, that I have. But Mitch, I wanted to ask about what's going on now that still applies to your uh, book, Control-Alt-Delete, which is one of my favorites. And I, I say that because even in the title, it's you know about rebooting your life and rebooting your career. Is there some rebooting that a lot of people could be doing now since they're open to all kinds of new ideas and you know, with the exception of you and others with small kids at home, maybe they do have some some time to do things. Yeah, it's funny. Right before we hopped on this, I got my weekly uh, email from Tom Fishburne, the marketoonist who does really mm-hmm. amazing uh, marketing cartoons. And it, it was basically like a, a people in a boardroom and, and the bubble was uh, – no need for us to worry about digital transformation now. We still got tons of time. And then you just see this wrecking ball flying into the building that says COVID-19 on it. And I think <laughs> that, you know, it's been almost over 20 years that I've been talking about this sort of this digital disruption, this digital transformation, all this sort of stuff that that is very commonplace these days. And there's no doubt that we've seen tremendous movement and and the sort of dawn of amazing companies that have changed how we think about commerce and transactions shopify would be one of the the latest ones that i that that's that i love i know the founders i'm friends with them and i just it's an amazing business to watch and what i'm feeling now in this moment as we sort of deal with this whole sort of zoom free delivery pickup and curbside pickup and all this stuff that we're, we're having 
I really think that this is going to be the moment of critical mass is, is sort of how I'm feeling about this. And what I mean is, you know, we have a, a very uh, famed local sushi chef, impossible to get a seat at uh, at the restaurant. And because of the pandemic, they're doing free home delivery and free pickup and all this great stuff. And I'm watching on Facebook and just hearing through friends how this sort of scrambling happens every day of phone calls and emails. And there is no way that this individual won't put this on Shopify or build that site now to handle this because why are they handling it manually? And so when you can sort of push down to the real sort of local market, the local sushi restaurant, and really have them be illuminated that it's time for them to really digitize, it's going to be interesting. Should this chef now be giving courses online for a fee? I believe they should. Could there be a subscription model with their food and service? I believe there there can and will be. And if anything, uh, you know, tragedy is often the mother of invention. And that's the moment I just see myself in constantly. All the things I would be yelling at people to do in order to make themselves somewhat Amazon-proof, I'm seeing completely come to crystallization now because they're panicked that their business is in jeopardy. So I really I really do believe that. And I think you can extend it upwards even into the executive suites. I think you're going to have a lot of CEOs coming out of this really questioning whether or not they want their team members traveling for one meeting to, to somewhere or another. And I just don't think that that's going to be the case. In fact, in this whole storm that we're in of COVID-19, we're seeing many CEOs actually already state in in public in the media that once this is all sort of hopefully back to some semblance of normal that this idea of just flying for a meeting is is over because they've been acclimated to zoom and all that stuff are you there did i lose you are you there doug The uh, listener will have hopefully just heard a sound effect that I could drop in about uh, a storm, and it's because what rarely happens at my house here in Virginia is we lost power. There's been hurricanes in, the, I guess, the southern part of the United States, and we're catching some of those winds. And as part of this adjustment, I've got a bunch of battery backups for the computers at the office, which is now empty. <laughs> I'm going to swing by there today and pick up one or two of those things because this would have been very helpful to have. We were just talking about how even up at the uh, the C-suite level, you're starting to see some changes that are happening as a result of this experience we're all going through. Perhaps we could pick up there. Yeah, I mean, the idea is that you know, what we're seeing is that because of Zoom and video conferencing and all that stuff, I think a lot of, in fact, we've seen it in the media, a lot of CEOs are outright saying that if, if, if my team is flying for one meeting, that ain't happening anymore. They could just do this via Zoom. And the uh, ad marketing business, I'm seeing many articles about this sort of new realities of pitching by video conference. So all these changes from your local sort of dry cleaner and sushi restaurant all the way up to the C-suite because now it's months. And as, as you and I know from reading a ton of books, habits are created after you know 30 days. And here we sit with more than 30 days <laughs> under our belt. And I think it, it's going to affect everything from satellite offices to how workers work and how they congregate. Uh, we're getting better at it. We're getting good at it. There's lots of articles. I've written a few on it. I do really think we're going to see a big change just because we were forced into it. Yes. And 
talk a bit more about how to make video better? Because I did see a post that you did about uh, tips just for Zoom, which was probably enormously helpful for all these people that are suddenly new to it. I mean, even we have a client that they always used our Zoom and they realized they were going to need to get it. So they got all set up and I probably spent an hour with the client showing them how to get everything, or just some of the basics squared away. What are what are some of the things that folks could be doing to not necessarily make Zoom better, but to make a video more effective? It's just more question of, of really understanding. I mean, I think you're right. There is this sort of initial sort of technology setup. And I think there is uh, gear that you could do to improve this. For example, you and I have been doing this thing for a while. So we know that there's a certain type of headset and mic that sounds good. This is why it sounds like you and I are basically sitting across from each other, even though we're in different countries and time zones and far apart from one another. If you're recording with video, there's stuff like lighting you could use, green screens, which I don't love, but there is better mic quality. So there's a gear aspect to it. But I think there's just a general uh, broadcasting attitude that you can bring to it where you sit in relation to the camera how you position the camera. You want to be have it at eye level, for example, a green or red dot where your camera is and not at the screen because then you're not really making the connection. Uh, you want to ensure that you have good sound quality, right? People are going to sort of lose interest if you're sort of waving in and out. Uh, you want to be very quiet when others are speaking, as we do in interviews. You're being quiet now because I'm speaking. It's okay to laugh over it or um hum, but if you were busy going uh huh uh huh uh huh the whole time, it would be quite disruptive to the experience. Um, uh, you want it to keep steady. So many people are having it on their phones or their laptops, and it's like this weird. So yeah, you want to keep your camera super stable. So you know people have it on their laps or they're using their phones or tablets and it's really, really shaky and it sort of replicates what I call the old vomit comet at the amusement park. And then two little simple things too is just smile. These are tough times. And if you're talking, try to be the person to bring some energy and smile into it. And then the last thing I would say is, you know, instead of doing one long meeting, try to break it up. I think because of this this sort of crazy world we're in, I'd rather hear from my boss two or three times during the week than just once for an hour. So tighten it up, keep it short, but make it more frequent. And again, these this is stuff that people like Seth Godin have been saying, or my good friend Mark Bowden has been doing videos. And I basically took what they said, uh, tweaked it a little bit with sort of what I wanted to say and added in some lessons I've learned. And I put it into an article that I posted at sixpixels.com, which people can grab or you can link to in the show notes. And I even have in there... Um, an Amazon wish list that I built because I always get asked, well, what gear should I use? What headset? What mic? What this? What that? And so again, you know, having time, I just built a sort of video studio audio gear. And some of it's a bit of a wish list in terms of like, yeah, I should pick up a mic like that one day. But um, I put it all in there. This, you know, this it's funny. This this is a gamer's headset that I've been using for a couple years. That is great for just sort of general Skype calls. I don't think it's great for video. For video, I have another setup because they're sort of like I look like a helicopter pilot with this thing on. But it works really, really good. But that being said, I've seen some other versions of this, like broadcast quality, like the ones that DJs use when they use those, do those remote on-site type things. And, you know, I think that those are great, too, if you want to step up the quality. But for this and for what we're trying to output into an MP3 file, it works great. Absolutely. Tell us, what model is that you have on there? Because I'm always trying to encourage authors to get a, a headset with a built-in noise-canceling microphone like the H390, which last time it was for sale on Amazon is only 22 bucks, and it makes such a difference. Is this the same one that you always use for your podcast? 
Well, I used to use the Logitech has a professional line that I would recommend over that. I mean, I'm in a higher price point. This is, I think it's called the HyperX Cloud 2. Again, if you go to that article, which is at sixpixels.com, it's Mm -hmm. called like 10 ways to rock zoom. At the bottom, you'll see like a little Amazon link. You could click on that and the exact models are in there. I'm not exactly sure. Okay, super. Well, there's actually going to be a blog post for this interview. So we'll make sure to put that link there as well as your um, blog, which people should read. Tell us, there's a, it's an active blog. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And there's a, you post a lot of content there, but you also have, I'm pretty sure once a week, you have these really interesting links that you post. Yeah. I mean, look, I my background prior to agency world and tech startup world was I used to publish music magazines and I was a journalist. And I still consider myself a journalist and a publisher for sure. And one of the lessons I learned in early days of publishing my own magazine is you need to have what we called back then the skeleton. And the skeleton was basically your table of contents, pages one to, I don't know, 48. And there were certain pages that were sort of locked. I mean, you know, the first, uh, well, it wasn't the first page because the first page was a cover, the inside second page was another ad. And then the sort of third page was the first page of content that was your editorial. And I sort of would have this sort of thing where every month I knew where certain things were. So if let's say I was reviewing music gear, which I had a regular column, it was usually in the same place in the magazine because it creates familiarity. And so when I started my blog, again, we're looking at 2004, 2005-ish, I wanted to do the same thing. So in a sort of grander way of, of looking at it, Monday, I do a radio hit up here on the local rock radio station called Shom FM, which is then broadcast across the entire iHeart Media, Media Network. So that little sound clip is sort of your weekly digital media catch up. Mm -hmm. So that's Monday. Uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday is sort of what I call open days where either I'll publish one or two articles within the week. Uh, Usually Friday, I typically share something um, of a video that I saw that's interesting, a conversation on video, something like that. Saturday, I do a weekly link exchange with uh, Hugh McGuire and Alistair Kroll. Alistair is more of a real sort of tech, deep tech startup person. Hugh is more of an education, podcast, literature, publishing type of person. And so the idea is that we each pick for each other one link that we think they should read. And now it's been over 10 years because we do it every single Saturday. Uh, So it's basically six links. They're very, very diverse. They're often sometimes articles. They could be videos. And then Sunday is my podcast, Six Pixels of Separation. So on a thin week, you'll get three or four pieces of content. On a busy week, it might be six or seven. And then I have other things that happen. If I'm, you know, if I do, I do a base podcast every month for a a big site called notreble.com. So that once a month, it lands on a Thursday. That'll also be in my blog. Um, If this is something that is shareable for me, I might take this and go, hey, I had a great conversation with Douglas. Check out this conversation. So I I do, I, I try to make it as active as possible. Um, it's not as active as it was. I mean, I really used to be in a place where I was writing six or seven articles every single week. It's just not that I've lost my sort of flair or passion for it. It's just, I feel it's too much for the pulse of my audience, really. Hmm. And because of social media, I'll publish things on you know places like Facebook and Medium and LinkedIn and Twitter. And it's it's quite a bit for, for a one-person show. Uh, <laughs> but I like doing it. I feel very inspired. I don't ever sort of struggle for content. I don't struggle to find guests. I, 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 if anything, I've got a, an ongoing notebook of li- and list of things I'd like to do in a perfect world. Oh, wow. You know, I didn't realize that the six links that you do every week was in conjunction with two other people. It shows you 
<laughs> yeah. I always just jump to the six links. Yeah, and also you'll see like I'll, I'll it'll say at the end of the link like Mitch for Hugh or Mitch for Alistair or Alistair for Hugh. Yeah. And, and you start if you follow it, you start seeing like, oh, I chose that for Alistair because it's like a really interesting tech piece, or I chose it for Hugh because it's about podcasting or it's about publishing and literature or or, or books. Uh, so it, it it makes it very diverse, but at the same time, it's sort of look my my platform that I talk about. You know, when I speak, is is I call it decode the future. I help leaders decode the future. I had audiences decode the future, and to me, that intersection really is this place of brands, consumers, and technology. And how does technology change the relationship between brands and consumers? How do brands use technology to better connect to consumers? How are consumers using technology to deal with brands? And that's always been my sort of purview. And the sort of inputs from that, at least from my perspective, that I find inspiring are the areas of startups and new technology, which is why I do both investing and advising on that side. It still is just reading. I think we learn best when we're reading. And so I'm an infovore for all things online for sure, but just books in general. Although I will admit, since this whole COVID-19 has taken place, I haven't read one book, which is sort of weird. Um, <laughs> But it sort of speaks to all my passions, and they sort of come together in a way that I, I think gives perspective. And, and again, it's not about me. My content is never about me. My content is to serve. And what I mean by serving is I hope that someone who ingests the content really improves their, their professional life in some way. It could be their business. It could be how they think. It could be a presentation they're doing whatever it might be. That's my sort of purview. I really do write and create content more as a journalist than as somebody who wants attention for what they created. Does interaction with your audience play a big role in your your inspiration? It used to in the early days. I think in the early days of podcasting and blogging, it was such a sort of prevalent thing where it was almost like the community mattered more than what you wrote. I think over the years and just the sort of proliferation of content and the amount of people creating content that it's really shifted from you know what's happening in my community to somebody being inspired by this article or somebody hearing a podcast where I interviewed somebody and getting them as a guest on their podcast. So I don't think it's as linear as it used to be. It's much more opaque. Uh, now, with that, I see people who are super active in social channels and create that energy, asking questions, doing things live, doing all that stuff. That's not my forte. My forte, and again, I think this is a big part of marketing and figuring out how to be, how to build your sort of content marketing center of excellence, is knowing what you're good at. And for me, I really have have, have sort of formulated it in two areas. One is long form text and lo- and long form audio. Mm-hmm. That to me is where I feel most comfortable. So it's less about hopping on Facebook Live and trying to get a big audience or a big following on Twitter and interacting, but it's way more about um, just sort of figuring out how you want to push things in terms of where I feel most comfortable. So I'd rather write a long article and not sort of go back and forth because I'm writing the next one or working on the next podcast than spend a lot of time back and forth. I don't mind it and I'm happy to respond and interact, but I I know my content isn't set up in a way where that's the core of it. So I leave that to people who are so much more comfortable at it. You know, we we have bellwether examples, people like Gary Vaynerchuk and others like that who are just so good at being in it with them and back and forth. I'm more of a I see this thing, I'm going to create it, I'm going to push it to you and I hope you use it and enjoy it. And it's okay if you're not going back and forth with me. I'm fine with that. I saw something the other day, and I'm afraid I can't remember who the author was, but it was advice 
and I think it might have been more for young people, and it was saying, be careful when you hear that expression, follow your passion. And they were saying, follow your talent. And that's, uh, Yeah. I mean, I've, I've, I've heard for and against all of that. And I think it's, it's a true statement because it's easy to say things like follow your passion. And it's like, there's no business there. Well, if you dig far enough, you might find them. I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent on that, but I do know that I didn't build businesses that led to financial success that were pure passion based. Mm -hmm. There were areas that I felt I had an acumen for. I had a desire to build. I had an interest in, I had a level of curiosity and I had the ability to step back from it and think, will this put me in a financial situation that I want? And I think when we make those sort of grand statements like follow your passion or do what you're talented with, it, I don't know if that's the full answer. I think you do have to be able to step back and go, look, I'm really talented at this, but is there a livelihood here? Or if there's not, am I okay with that? So I'll get a lot of uh, my peers now who have much older kids and they'll say to me, you know, my my – my daughter wants to go into writing, uh, post-secondary college. Uh, would you speak to her? And I'm like happy to speak with her. And they'll call me back. Oh, that was so great. And, and they're so happy and thankful. And I'm very candid with the parents because they're sort of my peers. And I'm like, they're just choosing a hard life. Understand that. Mm. You're not choosing a life from a financial perspective unless you get really, really lucky and people go, well, you know, you're not lucky and talented. It's, it's a whole conversation. But I think there's a lot of uh, there, there's a lot of luck involved in, in getting the things that work when it comes to more of the artistic pursuits. They're important. Uh, they're valuable. But I, 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 I like looking at things more from the perspective of it's great that I'm talented and I'm passionate about it. But is there something here that I could dedicate my life to? The second reason I say that is because I come from the music business originally, and I have friends who are now my age who go on tour for three, four months at a time. Do they love it? It's their life. They're used to it. It's, it's what they do. Is that conducive to having a healthy family life and family home? I don't know that they thought about that when they were 19 or 20 and they got a record deal. Mm -hmm. And that's part of it too, is I like to look into my future and go, well, what kind of future do I want to have? Even speaking, I mean, I have, like you said, we have a, I have a young family. Uh, I want to make sure that I'm here for them. And so with that comes limitations in terms of what I'm willing to professionally do to maintain the integrity of both. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, uh, Matt Hines, and uh, I remember running into him at a marketing conference, and he told me that when his kids got to a certain age or something, I think he has three children, that he and his wife had a deal that they were only going to be gone for one uh, night where they would miss putting the kids to bed. So, in other words, that became sort of the the straw that stirred the drink, where he could leave early one morning, be gone that night, and then he would still have to be back the next day. But it was a it was sort of a a guide that he had that where he had to make a decision, just like the ones that you're looking at uh, having to make going forward. Yeah, and that's good, but it all it, it sort of goes back to what we talked about with the skeleton or the editorial calendar. Planning is really important, and you have to be able to plan and ask yourself things like, okay, I have a lot of talent or a lot of passion for this. But what does this look like in 20 years? Well, how do I define success? Mm -hmm. If it, it, it is financial important to me, and if it's not, 
would it be to my spouse or my children or how will I sustain this? What are the other things I could do maybe to compensate for that? I mean, this is why we're in a world of the side hustle and we're in the world of Shopify sites and Etsy and all that sort of stuff is because people are doing the work that they are doing, but at the same time trying to see if there's some form of monetization within their passion. Um, and I like that, but I also think I've been reading a lot of articles on this, of course, because we're in isolation and quarantine about the sort of loss of boredom. If you think about people who would build like, you know, ships in a bottle, like the point wasn't to sell it on Etsy. It was just to do something, to <laughs> take your mind yeah. off of them, you know? And I find myself thinking about that every time I open my Kindle. Like, why am I reading this? Am I reading this because it's it, it might make me smarter or am I reading this because I'd be passionate about, like I would enjoy just the, just the act of reading. And I think it's important if you read a lot of books, for example, to choose a couple in between, like every third book, that there's no reason to read it other than the joy of reading. Um, and I think about that too from boredom. It's like, you know, you can sort of, who is it who's telling me, I don't know if it was Stephen Pressfield or another author, but they basically said that the way they overcome uh, the resistance, as Stephen Pressfield calls it in the War of Art or, or Writer's Block, is they say, oh, I think it's Neil Gaiman. It's Neil Gaiman. Neil Gaiman has an area in his house where he writes his writing room, and he's allowed to do uh, writing uh, or nothing else. So basically, he doesn't have to write. It's just that he can't do anything else. So you can stare, but you can't read. You can't pick up a magazine. You can't play a game. You can't check email. So it's okay to not write but it's not okay to do anything else. <laughs> and I think magical stories probably come out of the daydreaming of not writing in those moments. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's interesting. And I've heard that a similar thing uh, discussed as it relates to the value of boredom for children be who might be overprogrammed and overscheduled and, and all that type of thing. It's brutal. I mean, it is brutal. We see it. Um, I think a lot of times where we go, wow, you're addicted to that screen. What we're actually really seeing is somebody who doesn't know how to do nothing or keep themselves busy. It's just so easy. And I don't know why. I mean, I do it myself, so I'm just as guilty as everyone listening to this. We get mad. But look at ourselves, right? You walk into a restaurant and your guest hasn't arrived yet. Do you just sort of sit there doing nothing? Or are you like immediately like, check the phone, check the phone? Like it's it's in our own makeup by how this sort of technology has evolved as well. And it's partially why I do my best to not do that. Like I carry around a physical notebook or cue cards and I'll try to take notes if I, if I really want to feel active or I'll just daydream and stare. We are losing that that beauty. There's a beauty in daydreaming and just staring out the window and, and not thinking in silence. It's like we can't do anything unless there's something in our ears, music-wise or otherwise. I just, I feel like our civilization is is missing that. And I think great ideas, I really do believe great ideas come in those moments. Mm, absolutely. So, Mitch, can you take us back to 2004, 2005, and what led you to start that podcast when really not many other people were doing that and, and that blog? What well, it goes a little bit before that. So in about 2002, I joined this agency called Twist Image, which wasn't much of an agency. It was my, my two business partners and you know very few employees, maybe one or two. And the idea originally was that I would sort of uh, consult them on how to 
think about their business and they would sort of help me with some graphics and website stuff for my consulting agency. And within a couple of weeks, it became clear that I think we're heading down the same path. Why don't we do this together? Then became a bit of a negotiation to sort of get a third of that business. And we inevitably brought in a fourth partner a a few years later. Um, And day one, I didn't want to sell. I didn't want to be that person making sales calls and running on down the highway to the big companies and asking them if they needed things like websites and stuff like that. But I had this pedigree in publishing and in creating. And I was known in the music industry and the entertainment space, but I definitely wasn't known in the marketing or agency world. And so I called a bunch of the trade pubs saying, hey, uh, I've got this new agency. I've got this thinking around digital, which at the time was very different and knew nobody was talking about this stuff really. And they basically blew me off. Like, who are you? You have no clients. Who cares? And that's when I got mad and inventive. And I thought, well, there's this new thing called blogging. Let me start this blog. And so we started the blog. Um, and I was publishing, as I said, I was publishing basically seven times a week, like real articles, four to 400 to 1,500 words every day. And uh, at one point, I was like, I'm writing quite a bit here. And it was early, early days. So it was getting traction, but it was still a lot of work. And I thought, well, you know, if God rests on Sunday, why don't I as well? I'll just talk. And this is because <laughs> podcasting had just, you know, come into fruition. So I started rambling instead of writing. And then that led to me thinking, well, I could have guests and I could bring them in. And it was just an evolution. And it's easy to look back now and go, well, that was your content marketing platform or you were doing content publishing. There was none of that back then. We didn't know what we were doing. It was very MacGyver-esque and like, here's some chicken wire and duct tape and some toothpicks and can you make this technology work? So it was more that it was more that I wanted to share with a greater audience rather than trying to just get one by one by one, which led to those industry publications wanting me to contribute there or using my content, which led to requests to have me speak, which led me to getting involved in the industry associations from up here in Canada, the Canadian Marketing Association and the IAB at the time. And and all of that just steamrolled again with a lot of luck at the right time when Mm -hmm. digital was really happening so you know we talk about we've never seen a moment like this before with the COVID-19 and people talk about the recession being one of the other ones or 9-11 sure and having worked through both of those uh you know for for us at least at the agency the the recession was kind of good because at the time big companies and we were primarily working with large businesses they were like okay we need to figure out how to optimize and spend less and digital was their answer and i do believe that even in this moment because i'm advising several companies in the space for example ones that deal with shopify and they're they're not seeing a slowdown or a stoppage right now in fact their clients are saying can you add more people because we're getting a lot of orders and demands here and we need a more robust infrastructure mm-hmm. so i think there are even winners and moments that that make you really really lucky so long story short on why the podcast um and then you know you sort of look forward and go okay i was i was right you know and i'm proud to say i was right i was doing these long form conversations long before people like mark Marin and joe rogan and all these other people and you know it's it's very validating to see that it's a format people want we, we, we thought, oh, 140 characters and Twitter and all this sort of stuff. And it's not true. People – and this was my guess. My guess was that if there's an author whose book that I read and I loved 
uh, Susan Cain, uh, there's so many books that I just love. Who wouldn't want an in-depth conversation with that person? And what we're seeing now is that even the traditional media is replicating that model. So mm-hmm. I, again, it's a it's a it's a source of pride for me uh, because you sort of like to be able to look at, or think a bit in the future and go, wow, we were really spot on. So it's great. So as it relates to people who are maybe in marketing or sales or you know uh, in business who might be listening to this are there some things that they could be doing to help themselves in their own career because even in control alt delete you talk about what people should be doing uh, to make themselves more useful and productive and happy uh, in this era when we can uh, do a lot we can teach ourselves a lot of things any thoughts on what folks could be doing now uh, that they're open to um, thinking ahead. I don't think anything has really changed. You know, I mean, it's it's still the same story, which is people will say to me, "Wow, like where did you find that or get that?" I'm like, I don't know. I subscribe to a handful of newsletters and I read. <laughs> it's this. It's you know, I'm often misquoted. I see this pop up all the time on Twitter where it says something like, uh, I n- "I'll never let school get in the way of my education" or something like that. And I don't know. I mean, I said it. I just don't think I, it was original. I probably took it from someone and then. Over the years, it sort of just gets attached to my name. But I, I think it's that. I think if you have a thirst to learn and a thirst to be educated and a thirst to grow, you don't ask that question. I think it's when you are sort of day in and day out grinding and stuck in your day to day where you think like, oh, like where do you, where do all those those ideas come from? It's simple. You just don't ha- you don't have to watch Tiger King on Netflix. You can read a book. You know, you don't have to watch. Was it called Tiger King? I don't remember what I it's called. I think so. Yeah. Um, you know, you don't and I have, have to watched watch. It. <laughs> I, I, I did too because I had to have more time. But I mean, you don't have to. Is my point? Like, you don't have to go down the YouTube rabbit hole. You don't have to do Netflix or Disney Plus or Hulu. I I love all of those services too. I watch them, but you don't have to. You can choose to read a book. You can choose in the morning once you're settled at the computer that nothing happens until you read one or two little articles. Be, oh, I don't have time. You know, it's funny. We say we don't have time, but we always have time for the things that are important to us, whether it's working out or to meditate or whatever it might be. So if it, I don't know what it requires in your life. I'm just as busy. It would infuriate me because I don't really talk about my personal life, my, my family and stuff like that. And it would infuriate me when people would have comments about me like, I guess, I, oh, easy to say when you don't have kids. And I'd be like, I don't think you know my situation. Or easy to say when you know, you've made all this money. And at the time, I was like, yeah, I don't think you know at all what my bank account looks like because it wasn't pretty at the time. Mm. So it, it really is about what you focus on and wh- where you put your energy towards. Um, and the crazy thing is just a lot of it is free not my podcast not your podcast but yeah choose a podcast listen to it you know you know listen to debbie millman's uh design podcast amazing guests for years and years you'll learn more than you could have ever imagined go to youtube and subscribe to really interesting programming not the crazy stuff and not a day goes by. I was just saying on Facebook that the Monk debates had Malcolm Gladwell on. It's like, save that video. It's an hour. I just saw that Ted is doing all these sort of remote conversations. They just did one with Elizabeth Gilbert for an hour or Bill Gates for an hour. You don't have to watch music videos or TikTok. You can make these choices. So it's, it is. It's like dieting. It's, it's the choice of what do you want to put in your body. <laughs> Very true. I think that some people are more careful about what they put in their mouths, uh, you know, the food and drink, than what they're putting in their heads. And 
uh, it can really make a big difference. And, you know, from all the books that I get to read for this podcast, it's just been so beneficial. And sometimes I joke that I, it's professional development is performance art. I hope that the listeners get at least a little bit of what I'm able to gain just by reading these books and, and being able to talk to the, the, the authors. But there's a lot of work that happens because I'm, I'm in a similar state where just getting ready for a conversation like this as the host, you're spending a lot more time even beyond reading the book. You're Googling, you're reading an article, you might watch a YouTube video, you might listen to another podcast. And no matter what, it's never just about the subject or the topic. And I'm sure when it comes to interviewing someone like me or someone else, you're like, okay, so COVID-19 is here. What are two things? you're So we're learning also because we're not just reading, but we're also reporting. And we're learning because we're not just reading and reporting, but we're actually thinking about what would we ask this person. And it's a great little trick. Like if you're reading a book, sit with a pen, if, if it's a physical book, if not just notes or whatever, and write down questions you would ask the author as you're reading the book. And you will discover that whether or not you get a chance to ask them or not, you're going to be filled with ideas from that. Because why? Where did that idea come from? And even if you're trying to create your own content, I mean, people say, ah, where do you come up with your ideas? Whatever article you just read, ask yourself one simple question. What do you think about it? What's your perspective? Do you agree? Do you disagree? Write about it. And there you go. There's your article. And then all you have to do at the bottom of it is go, I was inspired so much by this article in the Washington Post, the New York Times, Medium, whatever it is. And there you go. Mm-hmm. And here's here's what I thought. And here's a link to it. And yeah, just getting started. So Mitch, do you think there will be uh, any more books from you in the near future? I think there will be. Um, I, I, you know, for me, I really feel that Control, Alt, Delete, and Six Pixels of Separation have stood the test of time. Meaning, I, I mean, I actually had some time to go back and review them, which I hadn't done in years, and I felt, wow, the, some of the concepts here were very real. Obviously, since those books came out. So much has changed with technology and connectivity and what brands are doing that part of you is like, huh, it'd be interesting to really rethink this or rework this. But my bigger thought in terms of thinking about book three is I feel like Control, Alt, Delete, and Six Pixels of Separation were books of the time, and they weren't necessarily perennial books. And in my heart, I feel like I would love the next one to be more perennial, that it, it didn't matter when you wrote it, the sort of the sort of themes and the content of it can stand the test of time. There's nothing wrong with books of the time. We need them. They're porn and I'm thrilled to write them. And so that's my struggle is it would be very easy for me to take my latest keynote and turn it into a book, but it's not where I'm sitting right now. And I think a lot of what I'm doing right now in terms of my daily writing is the exercise of figuring out where's the path. And I'm just not one to put pressure on it. I don't feel like I have to do a book every year or five years or three years. I'm kind of like, books are important and they really matter to me. And I'm not willing to just put one out because I can. I want to put one out because I should. Mm -hmm. And when you do come out with one, <laughs> we're going to know that it was something that had to be done. It wasn't just uh, trying to keep up with the publisher's demand or, you know, here's, here's, my, here's my new book for the year. So Well, yeah, and there are books that have sold way more than mine that are really, that people wrote in a weekend. And I think that that's great. It's just, the way I approach writing is very different. Mm, yes. Well, Mitch, I really appreciate you stopping by the uh, authors in quarantine getting uh, cocktails, uh, which I hope is a limited time uh, series here on the Marketing Book Podcast. And at 
this episode at marketingbookpodcast.com. We're going to include links to as many of the things that uh, we talked about. So I hope you stay uh, safe and healthy and sane. Well, thanks for having me. And when you reached out, my, my comment still stands, which is writers are always in quarantine. So I think you should just keep going. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Last call. <laughs>